<laughs> and I like this song a lot. Um, it's so can it's really campy and like mm-hmm. not for everyone and totally corny in a lot of ways. But like, I think the first time I listened to it, I was like, Oh my God, this is really corny, but it's fun. <laughs> and you just embrace the fun and you enjoy it. Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link, and this week we're getting into Lionheart era tracks. We're going to be talking about a pretty rare track here. This is called The Magician, which was featured in the movie The Magician of Lublin. When you reach for a star, the angel Not very far Just a step on a stair Take a look at those clouds And the tricks that they play In the circus of life Life is bitter and gay And with me to talk about this rare song this week, go on ahead and introduce yourself. Audiences will already know you. You yeah, probably are so annoyed with me already. Um, oh, no. My name's, <laughs> no I'm, I'm Zoe, and I'm a Kate Bush fanatic and Lionheart Justice Warrior. Um, that's me. <laughs> and I like this song a lot. Um, it's so can- It's really campy and, mm-hmm. like, not for everyone and totally corny in a lot of ways. But, like, I think the first time I listened to it, I was like, oh, my God, this is really corny. But it's fun, <laughs> and you just embrace the fun, and you enjoy it. Indeed. So this song has a, she said some things about it. We'll, we'll kind of get into what it's, what it's about. Yeah, what she's, yeah there's no, really not a lot about it. Like there are no cover versions. There are no live versions. There are well, no yeah. remixes. In fact, it's never even been officially released. Ooh. Yeah. What makes this song, yeah, what makes this hot song hard, the hardest, for me, what makes this song the hardest to talk about is that she didn't write it. Yeah, I know. Because, it doesn't that because because you know you can talk about the lyrics, but she didn't write them, so you were not actually. Most of the time, when you analyze her lyrics, you're analyzing what like what she's doing as a writer. Yeah, but this doesn't show what she's doing as a writer, mm-hmm. so you, there's not much analyzed there. But vocally, there's a lot going on, and mm-hmm. in the composition and and the lyric. I mean, even though she didn't write the lyrics, they they're very Kate. Yes, like, they I think are. it's interesting that around the same time she was offered to do um the theme song for the james bond movie moonraker mm-hmm. and she turned that down but she except and on top of that was offered to do a lot of similar things like playing witches in movies but she um i think it's interesting that she turned that i always like the first thing i thought of when i was thinking about doing this episode was that okay it's interesting that she turned that down but she accepted this gig and i wonder why and i yeah. think something about the song spoke to her and i can see why because honestly i actually didn't know until recently that she didn't write it it mm-hmm. sounds like something she wrote so like a hybrid of something she wrote and like like a girl in middle school who like draws fairies but you know <laughs> but but like but it sounds very kate bushian mm-hmm. so it works because 
yeah, so I just want, so it's interesting, like, with the doing a James Bond song, that's so, that would be so big and commercial, and for her, she's like, oh, that's not me. But with this, this is something that maybe she felt spoke more to who she was as an artist. Mm-hmm. Well, the lyrics of this song are admittedly a little more poetic, I think, than Moonraker, because I love James Bond movies. <laughs> yeah. I'm a huge James Bond fan, but let's face it, like, a lot of the James Bond theme songs, like, they have to put the title of the movie somewhere in there, and it usually feels right. really shoehorned in. Yeah. It's like, well, we have to come up with something with this title. Of course, I know they didn't do that with Octopussy. Instead, it was um, <laughs> All Time High. <laughs> We're an all time high. Da, 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 like that. <laughs> Kate Bush could have done that one. I mean, she did write in the song Egypt, My Pussy Queen Knows All My Secrets. Mm. Maybe that one would have spoken to her more artistically. I don't know. Yeah. She could have written her own octopusy song. It would have been interesting to have Kate singing Moonraker because her voice is so different from Shirley Bassey, Bassey. Oh, yeah. Like Shirley Bassey's voice is like big and pressy, and hers is like like, kind (laughs) of high. And it's like. Yeah. She's known for gold finger. I know, and like Kate doesn't really. Kate hasn't gotten at this point. She she's hasn't gotten into like the like singing really gritty, loud kind of stuff. She hasn't gotten into that's more like what she gets into on Never Forever and certainly the Dreaming. Yeah, even more so. Yeah, and I'd say even like the Red Shoes. I feel like is in terms of her singing style, the most straightforward. Rock. I mean, Shirley Bassey isn't rock, but is the most straightforward kind of rock type singing mm. i don't know but but yeah i think i can definitely see why this song by kate would say okay i'm gonna do this it's so up it just seems like something she wrote so uh it was written this song was written by paul webster and composed by the French composer Maurice Jarre. Not sure who Paul Webster is, because there's a film producer named Paul Webster, but his IMDb credits don't include this movie. So, Paul Webster, if you're out there, please contact us. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'd like to know, like, hey, how'd you come about writing this song? But Maurice Jarre, though, like, he was a big-time film composer. Maurice Alexis Jarre. Uh, born September 13th, 1924, died March 28th, 2009. He was best known for doing film scores with the director David Lean. Probably the biggest one he ever did was Lawrence of Arabia, which I remember seeing for a big movie project that I did with Andrew. He also did the music for Witness.
He did the big theme from Dr. Zhivago, which I still hear occasionally, maybe in like elevator mm-hmm. music type stuff. He also did the music for the movie Ghost, um, that movie with mm-hmm. Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze and the, you know, the pottery scene. Of course, the pottery scene, that's on Chain Melody, which he didn't write, but he did the music yeah. for the rest of that movie. So he was a big time film composer, mostly for, he, he's one of those names that when I was looking up stuff for this song, I went, Maurice Shaw, where about, and then I look at his film credits, oh yeah, I've seen a lot of his movies. <laughs> it's just a lot of his movies are kind of, you know, some of the older ones, um, this mm-hmm. movie, though, um, I mean, this was used in the movie The Magician of Lublin, uh, which is which was released in October 1979, but recorded, though, in February 1979. So this was, you know, after Lionheart was all in the can and she was promoting everything. And she just kind of did this sounds like right before the tour of life and did it for this movie that was directed by Menahem Golan, based on the book The Magician of Loveland by Isaac Bashevis Singer. It was a book that came out in 1960. And I have to say, I was hoping by the time I got to this episode that I would actually have seen the movie. I can't find it anywhere. (laughs) Interesting. That's a shame. It seems like it would be a fun thing to watch at like 12 a.m. eating ice cream. It does. Like the plot of it, which I'll get to. And maybe some mushrooms. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely mushrooms for this movie. Because <laughs> I mean, I looked at I read aloud the plot of the movie to Andrew right before I did came up here to record. And he was just looking at me like, and I said, honey, I wish I was making this up. <laughs> yeah. So the the movie, I have not seen the movie. There is a clip of the trailer on YouTube. And there's a brief thing that somebody made with this song which was never officially released like there was no soundtrack for the movie or anything with this song you can the only way you can hear it is listening to the opening credits and even then like there's still noise and stuff over it because it was played Mm -hmm. over the beginning credits um this has never been released officially on a record it was just used over the starting credits and that's pretty much it and it's like barely two minutes long but it's I think it's interesting that for somebody who is such a film buff, like we've talked about in these Lionheart episodes, that she this is the first time she's done something for a movie. And it certainly wouldn't be the last time either. I don't know if you know the theme music from Eight and a Half. Maybe you can play a clip from it here, mm-hmm. but it's very circus-based. It's... It's the, and also it's meant like the final scene of eight and a half is the the protagonist being surrounded by all the figures in his life, like making a circus type thing. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of circus imagery in other Fellini movies too. I'm not even a big Fellini fan, but this when I, it's funny because as a film buff, this song to me is pure Fellini, like mm. both the lyrics and the orchestra. Like Nino, the composer who did all of the Fellini scores is Nino Rota. Um, mm-hmm. And his music, even though the the song itself, like the lyrics remind me of 
La Strada, the music reminds me a lot, a lot of Eight and a Half. And I was just listening to it before, and I was like, yep. And that Eight and a Half theme music was really well-known and famous, so I wonder if whoever did like the composition was inspired by that. When I first heard this song, I was kind of surprised at how short it was, and I wished it was longer. And it does. It sounds mm. like an old, like, you go to a circus, and you hear this, like, coming out of one of the sideshow tents or something like that. Yeah. Like, it's just... I know. I like it's it. probably because of the... Dun, 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 dun. It's in a nice waltz time. Mm-hmm. Woohoo. I, I like it, but I, I think two minutes is, is enough. Like, it's so intense. It's, it's her vocal are so intense for two minutes. Like mm. if it went on longer, I think like the planet would explode or something. <laughs> she just, I have a lot of thoughts on her the, her vocal style. Like just mm-hmm. the clowns everywhere. It's, it's great. I love it. It's so over the top. I love it. And it's funny because when people mention clowns or somewhere, I always get that one in my head where she's going clowns everywhere and stretches it out to infinity and beyond. Mm. Um, it's so entertaining. <laughs> she's just like how basically she's basically saying everything, stretching out. She's like, I guess I don't have a lot of words in this song. So I'm going to stretch them all out as long as I can to make the song as long as possible. Mm. And run from despair. That's my that's my favorite. The clowns everywhere run from despair is my favorite mm-hmm. part because she just goes so over the top with it. I love it. She just has whole there's no two balls. And it is most like there aren't a lot of musical breaks in this song. It like it just goes <laughs> Her her vocal is always there. Well, her vocal is there, but there is one unique thing that I wonder, and we will never know because there's no there's nothing written about this song. I don't. I will always want to know whether this was her input or already in the song. How in the back and vocal, you hear her say like you you hear her say um, how and then where. And it's interesting because in her regular music that she wrote herself, she always has back and back and vocals pretty much doing something really interesting mm. and different from the main vocal. And mm-hmm. it also happens here too. So I wonder if that's something that she did included herself because that's something she always does, or if it was already in there. And she's like, Oh, I want to do this because it has my weird back and vocal thing that I like to do. <laughs> <laughs> she might've, yeah, she really hasn't, said much about this song it's 
Um, I mean, she she wrote something for the uh, the Cape Bush Club newsletter issue number seventeen. Um, somebody asked her, "How did the session for the film The Magician of Lublin come about? Did you help Maurice Jar write the song or its lyrics?" And she said, Maurice Char asked me to sing the song, which he had already written. The whole thing was a most enjoyable experience. And poof, full stop. <laughs> yeah, she didn't even say why she wanted to or anything. Mm-hmm. Which is a bummer, but like with like, Kate Bush, there's many things we'll never know. Or like, why did they pick, like, how did she, how did they come to pick her? And like, how did this even come about? How long did it take to record this thing? I mean, we, we know. Right. We do not know. You can only speculate so much. It's, mm-hmm. or I can speculate for like 10 hours, but you know, there's no what's the point, you know? Yeah. It's just a two minute song, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm like, I'm, I'm, they're probably like, oh, this sounds like it would be a Kate Bush song. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about, it really does sound a lot like, like her kind of bittersweet style and certainly the lyrics, like my favorite lyric in this song and I think it's because when she sings it, I, I like how high she goes for, for the last couple of mm-hmm, words. Me too. When the fantasy bells of the universe ring, you can fly through the sky on a dragonfly's wing. And she like flies on that. It's just like, oh, it's just so oh. pretty. Oh, my God. When the fantasy bells of the universe ring, you can fly Well, that's what she always does is using her voice as an instrument to really mm-hmm. explore the emotion in the words because when she's flying when the when she's talking about flying her voice literally flies and what's interesting is i actually there's i found um an old demo of hers it's one of the rare demos i hadn't listened to in a while called stranded at the moon base mm. and i was looking at the lyrics i was listening to it and looking at the lyrics and they're actually pretty similar to the song so it Ooh. starts let's see it has a long way up in light years, just a pinpoint in space, in a century of planetary storms, stranded at the moon base. The air is getting low, yada, yada. I thought I'd caught a glimpse of golden wings. The air is getting low. I got the vision of the big white dove. Ha, huh, before seeing me next. I've heard the creaking <laughs> of the pearly gates above. I'm wondering why the big white dove is keeping me waiting. The worlds are all a whirly, a whirly. Won't you come along beside? The place waits for company as I leave my limbs behind me, as I'm being lifted out into the spiritual boom, boom abyss. Um, so it's, it's, there's a lot of parallels. It's that like mm. between those lyrics and the lyrics of magicians talking about being lifted away onto this other plane. Although on strands of a moon base, it seems more like to outer space. Mm-hmm. My God, I can't believe she wrote this thing when she was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> Just looking at the lyrics. A long way up in light years Just a pinpoint in space In a century of planetary storms Stranded at the moon base The air is getting low The air is getting low Looking out of the roof window I've seen many strange things From shooting stars to stars and stripes Thought I caught the glimpse of golden wings The air is getting low 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 
Now I've got that song in my head. <laughs> oh, never a bad thing to have stuck in your head. But I yeah, do but like that song. Like, maybe, yeah, but it's funny because just as actually when you he- realize that the lyrics and the magician are kind of similar to something she did write and didn't release. Mm-hmm. Which is a shame because it's a really beautiful demo. One of my favorites, probably. Yeah, when you reach for a star, only angels are there, and it's not very far just to step on a stair. Take a look at those clowns and the tricks that they play in the circus of life. Life is bitter and gay. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that line. <laughs> yes, it is. The circus of life, yeah. life is bitter and gay. <sighs> yeah, and that's a very, that's like literally the last scene of eight and a half. <laughs> no, the circus of life, <laughs> life is bitter and gay. That's funny. Um, and then, of course, the classic, there are clowns in the night. <laughs> I can't. The, but if you haven't listened to that song, you should. This song, you should. That, this next paragraph is, there are clowns in the night, clowns everywhere. See how they run, run from despair. You can be thrilled. You can be free. And then the background, she goes, how? You can be thrilled. And her background says, how? You can be free. How? Only mm-hmm. my friend, if you listen to me. It's, in, <laughs> it's interesting. So there's there's a two people speaking to each other in this no one ever really does and she does mm-hmm. it herself in um my favorite time of my favorite song of hers of all time night of the swallow which is actually mm-hmm. a dialogue between two people but it's not as obvious that it is because it's not like one back like here you can tell one person is the background and one person is the foreground and yeah. night of the swallow the lyrics are actually two people just talking to each other and you have to physically read them to see that they're two, like that they're two people talking to each other, and that took me a while to understand because it, it those li- the lyrics of that song confusing. I'm like, what? Yeah. Me too. I kind of only understood it when I got the vinyl of the Dreaming, and mm. on the lyric sheet they have the certain lines are in quotes, so that shows you that it's a different person talking. Yeah, it, it's more and it, yes, the Night of the Small is a very complex song. And my, as I said, my favorite of hers ever. But <laughs> it's interesting how you hear the the um, almost seeds for that in here mm-hmm. with the double the two voices. I also think it's really cool that what the but the sound of the song that it it sounds like like an old cabaret court carousel type song, and it reminds me. Mm-hmm. An, a little bit of coffee home ground in the sense that it's yeah. got this old timey sound to it, mm-hmm. um, which I know at this point she had already. I mean, 
that song had already been recorded and was out and everything. But it, the, I guess it was just in her head that she liked that style. And then I guess when they, when Marie Jarre approached her, probably approached her and said, hey, Kate, would you want to do this thing? Because you're the biggest female, British female star so far. Mm-hmm. That she went, hey, cool. Yeah, this is kind of my style. Cool. Yay. Yeah, I can see that. And to me, this like Coffee Homebound is more eclectic. Whereas this is more straightforward for sure. It's more mm-hmm. of like a broad, it sounds like a Broadway ballad to me. Mm-hmm. It does sound circusy, but to me it also sounds very Broadway. Whereas Coffee Home Round is just kind of, it's more jarring. Yeah. Not in a bad way, just in a, it kind of just grabs you by the throat and you're thinking, hey, wow, this is a lot going on. This is just more straightforward singing very powerfully over lyric, over music. Yeah. And also Coffee Homegrown, I think, is darker, too, in theme oh, yeah. than this one. This one, it's like, I see for your notes, you see it, it's less bittersweet and more like a lead, somebody trying to lead you into something like interesting world kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas Coffee Homegrown is about killing people. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. And of course, she makes <laughs> it sound so happy because that's what she does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, this, I mean, this first of you know, a couple songs she she's done for a movie. There's you know we you mentioned be kind of my mistakes. I like that one. It's not an absolute favorite, but I like it. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, this woman's work. Duh. Of course. Oh boy, that's going to be a monster when I get to that one. <laughs> um, monster in the but sense her most that, overrated that uh. it's <laughs> got a lot about it and a lot of covers and of course the Maxwell version, which yeah. I'm kind of eh on myself. Uh, she did Lyra from The Golden Compass. Mm-hmm. I have yet to see The Golden Compass. I've heard very mixed things about it, but yeah. she did the song for that movie. And then Brazil from Brazil, which we'll get to for uh, Hounds of Love, The Hounds of Love season. It'll be mm-hmm. interesting to watch that movie. I hear it's very trippy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah, this one. <laughs> yeah. So well, she also did, I don't know, oh, sorry, I, she also I did, you know the movie Dinosaur? It yeah. came out, like, early 2000s. She did the song for that, and it's really lovely, And then, but then they didn't use it, and she pretty much redid it for Lyra. But the Dinosaur version is even better, but it's kind of hilarious that, like, I used to watch that movie when I was little. It's kind of funny that, mm-hmm. like, that, the, you know, because this was also during her, like, reclusive Chantus period of not mm-hmm. producing anything that she just puts was like, Oh, I'm gonna do a song for it's for dinosaurs. <laughs> like how much she was probably being asked to do so many things all the time. But she's like, I'm gonna do a song for dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think the story on that one was that they they asked her to redo the song and she said, No, I'm not gonna redo yeah. it. And I think she used some of that for Lyra because because there was this thing about like being coming out of the storm and of course that's there in in the Lyra song. Yeah, but the the dinosaur one's better though I think. I don't know. It's just really funny because the most random movie Mm -hmm. I remember watching that and like like, babysitting and show like watching people as babysitting. So so it's really random. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm like it's fun. I kind of wish they'd kept it so I would have gotten earlier Kate Bush exposure. That would have been, yeah, I God, I haven't, I think I saw that movie a long time ago, but I can't remember. I've seen, I saw a lot of movies yeah. as a kid. <laughs> yeah.
also the cast of the movie is I, I find oh, it yes, very it is a weird cast. <laughs> yeah, the cast of this movie is weird. Like we got Alan Arkin, who is pretty well known. Uh <laughs> His mm-hmm. film career it spanned six decades. Yeah, he, he was in the movie version of Get Smart. He was in Glengarry Glen Ross. He was in Little Miss he's Sunshine. He was in Argo. Uh, yeah. He's been in tons of stuff. And then you get uh, Louise Fletcher, who is best known as uh, the main evil nurse in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And um, Nurse Ratchet. Yeah, she was Nurse Ratchet. That's what most people know her as, but she was also in uh, Firestarter, Flowers in the Attic, uh, Cruel Intentions. She was Sebastian's aunt in that movie. Was she? <laughs> yeah, apparently she was. Uh, I'm just learning this. I'm kind of like looking at her Wikipedia page. Uh, she had a recurring role on Deep Space Nine as a religious religious leader, Kai Win Adami. Um, and then Lisa Welchel. Uh, I know her as Blair Warner from The Facts of Life, which I totally obsessed over when I was a teenager because I was super (laughs) into 80s music and 80s culture. Mm -hmm. And that used to play on TV land um, all the time when I was a teenager. And so I know her from playing the kind of she played a character that was kind of uppity and snobbish versus like the other girls in in the group because it's basically uh, the facts of life was a tv show about a group of girls living in a boarding school and Mm -hmm. they all had different kind of personalities like there was joe the tomboy um there was uh lisa welchel who played blair warner the kind of uppity snobby girl and they all like like kind of growing coming of age um one of the other actresses is Shelley Winters, who was in the original Alfie. She was in Lolita, A Place in the Sun, The Poseidon Adventure. She also had a tenure. She killed a lot. In Roseanne. Yeah, she, she was going to kill Night of the Hunter. <laughs> so lots of big name actors in this movie. And yet it's never been like released on DVD or anything, mm-hmm. really. It never got a wide release. <laughs> It's like, mm-hmm. why, I wonder. I, I can't find a copy of it anywhere. As far as I know, it has never been released on DVD. It's only been on VHS. And you can like find tiny clips of it on YouTube, and that's about it. Yeah, um, I saw those. It was, based, it was actually based on a book, uh, a book of the same name, Magician of Lublin, by Isaac Bashevis Singer. Uh, the movie, the book was released in 1960. This came out in October 79. Uh, mm-hmm. Did not do very well at all. Like everything I can find about what people thought of the song is just scathing. <laughs> like um, the a review of this is a review of the movie from Time Out London, uh, turn of the century Warsaw. Yasha, an itinerant Jewish magician played by Alan Arkin, uh, pursues the world, the flesh and the devil, and has enough spare hubris left over to want to fly. Clearly, subject matter is rare enough to be beguiling. Unfortunately, Golan's treatment with its mixture of arthouse pretensions and vulgarity founders at precisely those points where it departs from Isaac Bashevis Singer's original Yiddish novel. Where that used clear-eyed, tender realism to point toward ambiguity of experience and mystery... 
Golan overdramatizes, tips into hysteria, and substitutes a specious mysticism that is sadly literal. What survives, filmed in English, is sufficiently removed from mainstream cinema to be of interest, but not for singer fans. Basically, mm. it's about this magician named Yash- Yasha Mazur, who tours around the old Russian Empire, the early part of the 20th century. He's Jewish. He's a womanizer. He's a common and a mystic. He wants to be able to figure out how to fly. Um, he's married, but he never sees his wife. He's got a lot of different women who keep him company. And basically, his personal life starts to fall apart. Like his, his, the great love of his life is this poor widow and her daughter who need money because the daughter is sick. And yeah, she knows that Yasha will never be able to give her the money. So she's waiting for the, she wants to go marry this count who will give her the money. And then Yasha demonstrates a Houdini style escape from a tank of water while shackled, uh, convinces his manager that he can fly. So his manager arranges for him to show everybody at this Warsaw theater that he can fly. And then he, one of his, the other women he works with, announces that she's going to Buenos Aires. Yasha knows that the man that this other woman, Zeftel, is going to go for, that he's really going to be selling her into sexual slavery. I wish I was making this up. Um, so <laughs> he decides to perform a special show of magic and card tricks for the pimp and to give him the money to save this woman. So he misses his big break, um, discovers the next morning that this woman who said she was going to be going to Buenos Aires, that she's lied to him. After he, uh, Yasha attempts to burglarize the home of the count that his lady love wants to actually marry, he manages to escape, but his life has fallen apart in one of the other women that he works with. She kills herself, and it just, uh, eventually he learns to fly, and it's just really weird. <laughs> I wish well, I was least, making at this. Least he, at least he learns to fly. He does. He finally learns to Hi. I think they used the wrong soundtrack. They should have like, looked into the future because, and you know, the R. Kelly's "I Believe I Can Fly" <laughs> which was created for the for the for the masterpiece Space Jam should have been. And I'm not joking when I say that. FYI, I will defend Space. I even watched it recently. I love Space Jam. Okay. Um, no, it's it's a good been, movie. Maybe they maybe they should have swapped. Maybe they could have swapped it. The magician could have been used for Space Jam. Space Jam. Or then I believe. <laughs> or no, he didn't. Or he didn't. I don't, I don't know if he didn't. He didn't make it for Space Jam, but it's in Space Jam. Except I, I can't remember if he did it. Made it for Space Jam, but it's definitely in there. Like I remember when I owned the VHS mm-hmm. when I was a kid, the music video was included. So. Um, it sounds more like I believe I can fly, but but yeah, but but it does based on what you're talking about the plot, it does seem to go with the song. And it's interesting that the review says he over dramatizes and tips into hysteria because that's what everybody says about Kate Bush. Mm, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, and which is like which is not inaccurate either. And I and I agree, but I don't. From to me, it's a good thing. Just to mm-hmm. a lot of people, it's not a good thing. Yeah, if you go, oh, well, she's just being a dramatic little girl. Hey, I like it when she's going dramatic. I like it. It makes things exactly. more interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like those complete drama queen vocals, which I love, and which <laughs> kind of on here, this album, I think serves 
really we're we're really bridging into never forever mm-hmm. never forever is my favorite album album of hers in terms of her vocals because there's um they're just so wild and oh, over yeah. the top but also strong and muscular and there's pretty much in the middle of the album what i call the diva trilogy um of the wedding list violin and the infant kiss just those three songs all back to back are like she's stretching her voice to the mm-hmm. extreme it's pretty much the most epic diva moment in music history i know it's hyperbolic to say but i'm saying it um and so I definitely see this song as a precedent to what I call the diva trilogy that's on Never Forever in terms of her really pushing herself to do these Broadway songs as ostentatiously as possible. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Speaking of the wedding list, I'm looking at the Shemas for the wedding list. And yeah. Lo- oh, my gosh. Looking at the vocal line for that song. <laughs> that's a fun one. But um, yeah, but like the infant kiss to me is the this actually I, of all of any other song this probably reminds me of hers. It probably reminds me most of the infant kiss in terms mm. of just the intensity of it's her singing over more of like one music track as opposed to mul- like on the dreaming there's multiple music tracks layer track layer of a track. Oh yeah. Um, whereas both this and infant kiss that seem very much like they come straight out of a Broadway musical. Mm-hmm. They're just a character having a moment. Yeah. Yeah, and she... it also connects to Peter Pan, too. Oh, yeah, I see that in your notes. Yeah, I see it as less bittersweet, more Pete Piper, or Pied Piper, Peter Pan kind of figure speaking. I can see that. Yeah, like this, this song could be about, like, I could totally see this being on the soundtrack of a Peter Pan movie, and it wouldn't, I would, it would fit perfectly. So let's see. Um, hmm. I'm kind of looking over our notes. Uh, yeah, I feel like we went over most. There's not. It's kind of not that much to go through. There with really the isn't. Yeah. Because she goes. Because she didn't write it, and there's. But I like it. I mean, it's a fun song. It's just if you like campiness and melodrama, you'll like this song. Mm-hmm. Basically, if you're a Broadway nerd, you'll like it. And I'm a Broadway nerd, so I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was I was I was a Broadway nerd as a child, so yeah, I feel you. Mm-hmm. I just wish that this had somehow been officially released in some capacity. Yeah, I wish I could like be able to listen to it in higher quality. Yeah, because I don't I don't mind the quality that it is now. It, it is it's got that old time the old timey sound to it anyway, so it fits the song. But I would like mm-hmm. a I would like a higher def version. That would be cool. Yeah, it's like I always thought for a really long time because of the low quality of the audio that it was actually one of her demos. Mm. I always thought that for a long time until pretty, I don't remember when, but for a while. So that it's it's kind of confusing in that sense because it also wasn't officially released. So if you don't know, you wouldn't, and because it sounds like it's one of, it sounds like something she wrote. So it's like, okay, this is one of her demos, but no. Mm. No, it sounds like she just showed up to the studio, recorded the song, and yeah, just put it in the can and yay, okay, send it off. And I'm just like, how much? I just wonder, like, did, like how much did her throat hurt after? She she just pushes so hard. 
and especially with her being a smoker and smoking is really not very good for your voice at all. No. No. I it must be why she drank so much tea to like lubricate her throat. Yeah, um it's it's a cool song. Yeah, wish it'd been released in some capacity. Maybe maybe it will someday. Who knows? Maybe. Right. Well, I think we pretty anything much else you want to go over? I think we're good. I think we're good. Yeah, we're, I think okay. we've got a pretty good episode for for a two minute song. <laughs> which is yeah, it might have to be a shorter cool. episode, shorter an hour. But that's okay. Like it that's can okay. be a shorter episode. That's fine. Yay! Not bad for cool. a two minute song. Right, yay. Yeah, not bad. All right, well, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, you'll be in touch with me when you get into like the Never Forever stuff. And anything else, Kate? Related? You want to chat about or anything else? Yep, I will, of course. All right, well, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for calling me for this episode. It was fun. Hey, of course, as always. Yay! If you have a favorite Kate Bush song or even a couple songs that you would like to chat about for a future episode, or you know something about this week's song that we didn't get to in our discussion, here's where you can contact me. You can find me on my official website, kbcast.linkmedia.com. Let's link with an E. You can also email me, kbcast at linkmedia.com. Like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Kate Bush podcast. And lastly, you can even tweet at me at StrangeKateCast. There are lots of different ways to find me. Next week, we're going to wrap up the entire Lionheart season with another Lionheart era track. And that is the song Another Day, which was only ever performed on her Kate Bush Christmas special and has her singing with a future collaborator, Peter Gabriel. So stay tuned for that next week. See everybody then. Yeah, she she like disowns all her early stuff. So much. I mean, the, one of the funniest things is because people love I, people, including myself. I, I mean, I think their demos of hers, I think, are better than mm-hmm. released stuff. I think some are best songs ever. I remember there's a like a radio show from 1994 where people can call and ask her questions. Mm-hmm. And someone asked her, are you ever going to release the demos? She says, no. She didn't even elaborate. She says, no. Yeah, I remember. I, I think so, I know which one. It was for a Canadian radio yeah. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, but it, it's that. pretty hilarious that she just doesn't even elaborate. She says no, but it's also heartbreaking because they're so good. I'm just like, it's just like, I'm, it's, I'm sad that she can't. My dream, it's sad she can't see how good they are. My dream is because 50 Words for Snow was so piano-based and she hadn't worked in a piano-based way in a long time. My, I would die for her my dream project next project for her besides adopting me would be to have her um would be to have her do her demos now mm-hmm. just her and the piano doing the demos it, like because so many of them would feel so different with the with the added years i just i would die for, i would love that i, I don't want to say i would die for it it's dramatic but i would love that <laughs> Or at least have her revisited in some way, like because we like, don't. She should have done director's cut with the demos, like Ooh. in my opinion, like something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, so the, like the inspiration for me doing this podcast, it was 
uh, a tour. I think I told you about this. It's a Tory podcast. It's these two guys in Southern California, and they're going through every single song that Tori Amos has ever done. And that mm-hmm. inspired me to do this about Kate Bush. And what's really cool about the episodes that they do is that they include live versions and show how the song has evolved over the years. Because Tori, I mean, I saw her. <laughs> she tours all the time, touring Tori. Like I saw her. She lives twice. up to her name. Yeah, I've saw and I saw her twice on this last tour for for Native Invader. And oh wow! Like. Yeah, I saw her in D.C. and then in Raleigh. I actually took Andrew with me, and it was really cool for because it was Andrew's first Tory show. And after having him hearing me play her stuff all the time, pretty much ever since we met, I'd been into Tory. And I love hearing how her songs evolve over time because she still tours. We don't get that with Kate. We don't get her going hey, let me do a new version of this old song. Like, we don't get that. And it's kind of one of the frustrating things, I think, about being a fan of hers. But it does make these episodes easier to do because I don't have to go through 50,000 live versions. And it also allows you to do a more in-depth analysis of the songs. I think the thing with her, a lot of her songs are, I mean, like this one, not so much, but another, her most of her songs are so complex that, you actually can spend an hour deciphering mm. the arrangement and lyrics and not even get into other versions. So if there were other versions, it would be like two hours because for a, you know, a song like when we talked about, wow, there was so much to dig into in terms of both mm-hmm. the lyrics and the music and Kosh and Baghdad, but it's all of them that I can't, I feel like they're substantive enough to take up a whole episode, but um but yeah, it is one one time she did revisit a song I think is was interestingly done was when she performed "Breathing" in 1986 mm-hmm. um, for a benefit show and and just her and the piano. I would have I would that made me sad. Like oh, I would love to see more of her revisiting old stuff. But then she mm-hmm. did that for director's cut, and I hate it. So so maybe so it makes me like maybe she's I'm glad that she doesn't revisit more stuff. But it would be cool to have had her revisit things more closer to the time they came out if that makes sense mm. so like when she did breathing as 1986 and it came out in 80 and when she she did the wedding list live like a year or two after it came out and it's still and her voice at that point sounded different so it was an interesting mm-hmm. take on it and you had different people i mean it was pete townsend and phil collins playing so it was different different musicians so yeah so it is like i feel like we definitely missed out on hearing um interesting interpretations of her songs that she could have done but then I listened to director's cut and like well maybe we didn't so mm, true it's NFL draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football fantasypoints.com features industry leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand charted data to help you score more fantasy points fantasypoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play whether you play fantasy football daily fantasy sports or do a little bit of everything fantasy points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hanson, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 